pretty close trap line chatter. Only message we have tonight going out to Jeremiah on the Shinjik from Jim Perman at Fort Yukon. I made it to Fort Yukon, should be heading back up tomorrow. One year, I kind of got an idea, you always try trap. I like to trap, I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go from here? You would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. We got through the fur boom. This is Northern Michigan, this is what you do. Represent data trappers in a positive light. I'm gonna ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volume, the perfect game magazine. Instructions from Perigo Gorman. Herb Lennon's articles, the Herb Lennon's ads to information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet because we're working ahead of time to build big traffic. If you got very bush of sand and dirt, you got bog trap. They started talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't know, get any better. Trying to set predator traps and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like it gets sheared. You better edit this part out. Yeah, yeah. we better. Back in the fur shed, this is the Trapping Today podcast. I'm your host, Jeremiah Wood. Great to have you here. Thank you for tuning in. The podcast is brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Kyle and Kellen Cots from Savannah, Illinois, trapping supply company that will get you set up with everything you need for the trap line. Great guys, great products, service, and prices. Thanks for supporting them. We're brought to you by Fur Harvesters Auction, where the world comes to buy wild fur. The big fur auction is coming up in a couple weeks now. Hope you have fur there. If you don't, you better pay attention and check it out because we're going to see what's going to go on here with the uh, fur prices for the rest of the season and into next season. I'll talk a lot more about fur harvesters coming up. We're also brought to you by OnX Hunt. Onyx Maps is the way to turn your phone into a fully functioning GPS with uh, standard tracking. Uh, you can mark waypoints. You have these awesome base maps where you have topo maps and the aerial imagery. And most importantly, landowner information. Know where you stand with Onyx Hunt. Um, these guys, you basically, you download this app onto your phone and you have full access to all the aerial imagery. Uh, if if your state supports it, which most states do, you get the landowner information, and uh, you can use it just like a GPS. It's really awesome. Go to onxmaps.com and use the promo code TRAP on your first purchase, and you will get 20% off. So 20% off. Uh, it is the last time I did it. I pay for a membership, and uh, it was about I think it was 30 bucks for a year. Um, and uh, you get all this information uh, that's for the for the, your entire state. It is pretty incredible. If you're not using it, you uh, you ought to get started. Check it out, uh, and, and feel free to let me know if you have any other questions about that. I absolutely love the product, and I look forward to doing more with OnX. So check them out again, OnXMaps.com, and uh, promo code TRAP. So in tonight's episode, let's see, it's been... 
a couple weeks that I've been back from Alaska. I'm still trying to get a little bit accustomed to uh, reaccustomed to my job and and uh, home and everything else in northern Maine. Uh, it is uh, early March, and so we still got a lot of beaver trapping to go. Or, or most of our trapping seasons are over, except for beaver. Uh, I've been out scouting a little bit, checking out some beaver lodges down by the river, uh, across from the across the road from the house, and uh, get some scouted out. Cut a bunch of holes today and set out some bait sticks, uh, trying to see what's there. It's really, it's a unique situation because it there's this side channel and there. I found five beaver houses on this big side slough, this series of side channels and sloughs of the main river, and these are five fresh houses that were occupied, would have been occupied this fall, but the water came way up in the fall and then it dropped way down through the course of the winter and there are no visible feed piles anywhere there are there's very little water the water level is at least at least two to three feet lower than it was this fall when they would have been setting up those houses and uh, it's very difficult in in most of these places to figure out where the heck the beavers would be um, once they're leaving the the house if if indeed they're still living in those houses one house I actually drilled uh, about 20 holes with the ice auger today and uh, I got a, I got mud on just about every one of them the, the most water I could find below the ice was like three or four inches so I'm guessing that beavers froze out um, or decided to go somewhere else for the winter when the water dropped but I've got four other lodges that I've found enough water to put some bait sticks in and we'll see if they get hit if they get hit I'll go back and and set them up I'll probably use the full-on snare setups for these uh, baited baited snare poles and uh, we'll see we'll go from there I'm excited to get a few more beaver uh, here in this part of the season when the furs are really prime so tonight we're gonna get into an interview I did with Jim Furman when we were up at the cabin in Alaska in interior Alaska uh, I talked about it a lot last episode and the next three I've got three interviews I don't know if we'll do them back to back to back but I've got three interviews uh, that we did while we were at the cabin, and uh, tonight we'll listen to the first one. Uh, but first, I want to talk a little bit about um, about a few different items. Item number one: a update from Jim. For those of you who are following along, when I left Alaska, I had a lot of traps that I'd set out, and the there were wolverines around, there were a bunch of fur around, and and things hadn't quite moved that last week it was 50 below for a few days and really cold not a lot of fur moving around and when I checked everything you know I I expected that in another week if things warmed up which they did that there'd be a lot more opportunity to make some catches unfortunately I had to go home and so I I didn't get to uh, see that play out but I just got a text from Jim this morning and uh, he he went back and ran the line again he, he no Wolverine, so uh, my sets did not produce a Wolverine. Unfortunately, I had at least three spots with uh, Wolverine sign that I was hoping they'd be back to. Um, I'll have to. I'm gonna try to call him after I get done recording this and get see if I can get some more details. But uh, based on his text, no Wolverine, but he picked up eight links, 
on on the the, the line. So essentially doubled our catch from from when I was there, which is really awesome. So I knew those sets would pay off. Sometimes, especially in those cold climates, it's just a matter of waiting it out and uh, waiting for the animals to move move through again. And they indeed moved back through. I'm excited to hear where which sets uh, specifically those were caught in. But eight more links, that's, uh, that's great to hear. If you want a little visual action on what's been going on, you can follow uh, my Instagram, which is trappingtoday.com. Trapping uh, I've been posting up pictures once or twice a day, and, and I'm going to keep doing that until I run out of Alaska pictures. But it gives you an idea of what it looks like um, on the line. And then I've got some YouTube videos. I already posted two YouTube videos. Um from the trap line and I've got at least two or three more to go uh, I'll be posting uh, every few days here coming up uh, the next two or three I might even have four we'll see how many videos um, I basically took a bunch of short clips with my phone and I'm I'm putting them together into you know like seven to ten minute um, segments uh, and posting them up on YouTube getting a lot of good comments good feedback from guys so check that out on the trapping today YouTube page uh, state fur auction results. There's a lot of stuff rolling in from the different states all across the country, and I've been putting them up on the website trappingtoday.com. If you go there and check that out, you'll see a bunch of uh, listings. I'm just posting them up as they are reported from the different uh, state associations. Actually, I didn't really do this last year. I did it a few years ago. It was a lot of work, and uh, I didn't really have time to get around to it this year, but uh, this year, my wife kind of volunteered to help me out, so she's been scouring the internet and finding these fur auctions, <clears throat> and and uh, posting, helping me post the results, which has been great. If you have any that I haven't posted that you uh, you want to make me aware of, just let me know. Jrodwood at gmail.com, J R O D W O O D at gmail.com, and I'll see if I can get them posted up there. So uh, let me go through just a few here. Uh, Nevada Fur Auction from uh, Nevada Trappers Association from Fallon. I have the Arkansas Fur Auction results. Um, Utah, New York in Tioga uh, County. Uh, North Dakota, Montana, Ohio. Um, let's move on to the next page here. Pennsylvania, District 5, Colorado, Idaho, Indiana, and uh, yep, that's about it. That's about what I have right now. Um, but there's, yeah, there's a lot of results there, a lot to uh, to kind of go through and give you an idea of <clears throat> what the, the averages are. Remember, the state sales, in a lot of cases, those are going to be uh, generally lower averages. Uh, for For one thing, you don't have uh, usually don't have the commissions at a high level as high of a level as they are in the major auctions like like the NAFA and fur harvesters auctions have always been like 10 or 11 percent buyer commission and the same uh, going uh, to the seller as a seller commission so uh, usually like 20 22 percent 22 24 percent maybe of commissions uh, when you combine buyer and seller and so that adds quite a bit uh, to the price so uh, you don't have to deal with that with the state uh, for auctions but on the other hand you actually have um, 
a, a much smaller number of buyers and much more local buyers and more of local markets with these state auctions. So in cases where you have like really hot items like Western Bobcats and Western Coyotes, those Western fur auctions are going to do at probably as good, sometimes better than the international fur auctions. But most other items and most other places, you're going to see lower prices just because a lot of these buyers are probably turning around and they're either sending that fur to NAFA or they're sending it to to a a larger fur buyer who's also got to make money and then it's going overseas from there. So uh, uh, there there's a lot of overhead involved. There's there's another step in the uh, marketing process there that has to be gone through and another set of bills that need to be paid. Uh, fur buyers got to get to the auctions and uh, they got money they got to put out and they've got um, you know risk associated with that so there's a lot going on typically the state auctions are going to result in lower prices for most items but um, you also always have a few bright spots here and there as well so um, let's just take a quick peek for example I want to show you the uh, Idaho auction results just to give you a quick idea um, the average price for coyotes was just under $90. The high coyote was 267 average, uh, but but you had an average of 89.67 for coyotes, and there were two over 2,000 coyotes offered. You had 64 bobcats that averaged $354. Uh, the high bobcat was almost $900. Uh, Red fox $14, Fisher 31. Martin twenty seven, um, muskrat three dollars and fifty two cents, raccoon about nine bucks, beaver the same about nine bucks, um, mink are very poor three dollars and fifty cents, otter forty nine, um, badger just under six dollars and skunk were a little over eleven. Um, another bright spot was beaver caster which was uh, seventy dollars a pound. So you can see there, you know, your standard run-of-the-mill like muskrat, mink, uh, and and beaver. Muskrat actually wasn't too bad, but mink and beaver were very poor. Um, and then you have like your western martin aren't that good to be in with, and those martin uh, did did pretty poorly. But then you had coyotes and bobcats, which did uh, really well. So you're gonna see that with different uh, state fur auctions. Now I want to get into a little bit of uh, fur harvesters news uh, kind of quickly before we get too far into this episode. And uh, just uh, just because there's been been a lot of hype around this auction because the fur harvesters March auction is the first and basically the biggest auction I think that'll take place uh, in all of uh, 2020. And so uh, the first thing is is fur harvesters. They put out you know a bunch of the offerings, press releases on the offerings. Um, There's a press release that uh, talked about the location of the auction. Um, let's go into that a little bit. Fur harvesters auction um, on February 15th announced that after much deliberation, they've decided to hold the opening auction of the season in Toronto. Uh, FHA will host the auction starting March 24th. On show from March 20th, selling FHA goods consecutively. After which, NAFA North American Fur Auctions remaining fur inventory will be auctioned. We believe this to be in the best interest 
of our trappers and the trade. So the big question about what was going to happen with all the NAFA fur, um, you you may have some there. I have some. I have a little bit of fur that's there. Um, that I you know some people have a whole lot of fur and and they were uh, that was a really tough situation to be in because you didn't know what was going to happen with that fur with NAFA going into bankruptcy. Uh, were you ever going to see your money? Um, hopefully this means that uh, that you'll get to see some of that money. We'll see what happens here, but uh, apparently uh, they're, they're, NAFA is going to... We knew they would have to liquidate uh, these items at some point, and so uh, it appears that they're going to do it at this sale. And I agree with fur harvesters. I think this is a, a good idea because you're going to have all of the buyers in one uh, one location at one time. And despite where we're at in the fur market, things are tough. But, uh, you know, th- this is a good opportunity to get people and just clear out this this uh, fur. I mean, the NAFA fur had to go at some point. It can't it can't sit there in warehouses forever had to be liquidated and turned into cash. Might as well just take care of it right now and uh, and kind of uh, see where things go. I mean, you know, th- there people say, well, you're going to flood the market with too many furs. Well, you know, that potentially that could, could play a part in keeping prices down. But at the same time, the uh, specter of having all of this unsold fur at NAFA hanging over our heads may also play into decision-making process for a fur buyer who says, I don't know what I'm going to bid at fur harvesters because the, you know, of all the NAFA stuff that's out there. Right now, they're going to have, they're going to have everything in one area. They're going to get a chance to look at it all and they'll know what they can bid and what's available for fur. So we're really going to, you know, whether it's good or bad for the market um, in terms of prices, we're going to see where we're at. And we're, and we're going to really get a chance to gauge what the true fur market is going to do from now moving forward. Um, so FHA, continuing on the press release, uh, we believe it's the best choice for our shippers, buyers, and our company to realize optimal results by capitalizing on the attendance drawn by our increased quantities at this season's opening auction. FHA will also utilize NAFA's remote auction online viewing system, which will allow all international buyers to view and buy in this auction if they're not able to participate in person. As we continue to closely monitor the ongoing coronavirus outbreak in China, we are keenly aware that some buyers may need to make last-minute travel arrangements and feel that this decision will also assist them. We thank the entire trade for the overwhelming confidence and support we have received over the years. Look forward to seeing you all in Toronto. Now, Speaking of coronavirus, so we know this is kind of a big deal right now. The stock market has been, uh, I want, I don't want to say crashing. I kind of uh, half-heartedly use that term when I see the market going down by 900, 1,000, 1,200 points in a day. But uh, the stock market has, has is in kind of correction territory right now. Uh, prices are, are going down considerably from the recent highs that we've seen and it's overall it's a concern that investors have over the economy and this concern is stemming from primarily from the the uh, outbreak of coronavirus which is spread from China and now it's in uh, I don't know how many different countries the last I heard it was in at least 
at least 25 different states in the U.S. and counting. So it's here, it's spreading, uh, it's probably s somewhat worse than most people thought it was going to be in terms of how easily it spread and how long it seems to stick around. So this is a concern, and uh, it's a concern for the economy, and everything, anything that's a concern for the economy is also cause for concern in the fur market. So just a quick note here from Mark Downey at Fur Harvesters. He says, uh, there's been much rumor and misinformation recently being communicated throughout the fur trade, more specifically at the North American trapper level. Our company is in constant contact with hundreds of manufacturers, dressing companies, fashion designers, and fur brokers on a weekly basis from all over the globe. All the major freight forwarding companies in Hong Kong and mainland China are receiving incoming fur shipping, with no issues at all as of this release, and they are expecting none. We are positioned to sell March 28th through March 30th, and are anticipating very strong attendance. The global fur trade is well aware of our increased quantities. As well, the prestigious fashion houses of Europe are committed to attending, as this is the only North American venue offering top-quality auction-grade wild fur that meet their st high standard of quality assurance guidelines. Our commodity is rare and not overproduced, and all those needing wild fur will attend in person or, as commonly done, place their orders through one of the vast number of international fur brokers that support us and all the world's fur auction houses. The wild fur market will be set at our March 28-30, 2020 auction, and we're going to great lengths to ensure the best results possible. Further news will be released in the coming days to confirm our efforts. So Fur Harvesters is not expecting major disruptions. Um, there's, there's probably going to be some changes to travel with people from China, I would assume. However, like, like Mark mentioned, there, there are always um, brokers that are willing to work through these things and people can buy remotely uh, through the, the online auction process. So I, I think those are things that certainly can be worked through. Um, th we are in a, a period of very potentially very low demand for fur. Oil prices are at multi-year lows now. Crude, I checked this morning. I think it was like less than forty. It's like forty-two to forty-five dollars a barrel. Uh, crude oil. That means uh, Russia is not is not doing very well um, economically. So uh, people are probably not going to be buying fur um, in the quantities that they they have in the past in Russia. China is not doing very well economically, and people China's economy, because of the coronavirus, has come to a standstill in many areas. So there are concerns here. But one thing we need to remember is that the quantities of fur are also at uh, probably all-time lows in terms of wild fur. And so, sure, the demand is lower, but the supply is much lower as well. And so we really can't say for sure, in my opinion, uh, what's going to happen in the fur market in the next few weeks. We just have to kind of wait and see. And so some of these state auctions, you you notice that, you know, there are some low prices from certain state auctions. Some of that is is people just are skeptical and are, are just being cautious. Buyers are being cautious because they don't know what's going to happen either. Nobody really knows. Uh, we can all kind of guess and we we can we can take hints here and there, but Nobody knows for sure, so let's let's let this play out. Um, a quick little word of positive news: I had an email from our friend Kyle Cotts from Cotts Brothers Lures 
Um, if you're not supporting Cots Bros, I would appreciate if you go check him out, cotsbros.com, and uh, place an order. I mean, really easy guys to work with. They got lots of great stuff there. Um, and Kyle, Kyle is really uh, up to date on what's going on in the fur market. He's got a lot of contacts. He sent me this email um, that he had gotten from uh, someone in the uh, in the fur industry about the tariffs uh, by that were implemented by the Chinese government on fur imports, and there was uh, you know negotiations between the U.S. and China. Uh, this is a letter from a guy in China says, I'm happy to inform you, and he is informing someone from the International Fur Trade Federation. Uh, the Chinese government has released notice that the punitive tariff on some commodities from the U.S. will be reduced uh, as of February 14th. As you know, China and the U.S. have had bilateral negotiations in recent months. Agreements have been reached, which give us an opportunity to raise the question of lowering the punitive tariff of fur from the U.S. Before Chinese Spring Festival, we gave our suggestion of putting fur in the category of lowering punitive tariff with U.S. to relevant ministries. The result is below. The tariff on U.S. furs going into China uh, will drop from 10% to 5%. And so that is that is good news. Whether it's you know whether it's fur coming straight from the U.S., whether it's coming from uh, Canada, um, regardless. This is tariff money that would be going to the um, would be going going to the Chinese government. That's now going into the hands of of uh, the fur industry, uh, and instead of the form of tariffs, it'd be in the form of higher prices that people can pay for furs. So overall, this is a good thing for the fur market. Encouraging news, and uh, let's just uh, keep keep positive moving forward. Um, and finally. This was a big one from Mark again. Downey's just been crazy. He's been he's been uh, he's been cranking out these press releases this year. Really, really getting after it. There's a lot going on, and, and fur harvesters is keeping on top of it. Um, and and this one is just it's titled uh, it's as of February 24th, titled "The Wild Fur Market and Making Informed Decisions Moving Forward in 2020." So this got some airtime on Trapper Man. A lot of people went back and forth on this. I, I think there was a bit of a misunderstanding of the the intent of this press release. Uh, but I'm going to read it to you and give a little bit of my reaction and you can, you can decide uh, what you think of it. The global fur market is always set at the international auctions. In the world of ranch mink, that means Copenhagen Fur Center in Denmark and Saga Furs of Finland. As Fur Harvester's Auction is the last remaining wild fur auction house operating on this continent, on an international level, the market will not be set till the conclusion of our March auction. As the only wild fur auction house, as well as being trapper-owned, we feel responsible to advise and caution those trappers that currently have fur on hand to seriously consider waiting for the results to come in from our March 2020 auction before making the call where to market. Our next auction is not till May 30th to June 2nd, and we're expecting strong support from both the supplier side and from the international buying community, as our last receiving dates and countless route tra- trucks will once again be rolling in early April. There's no reason to make any rush decisions. As well, to keep in mind, FHA is the last remaining operation that annually funds provincial, territorial, and state associations 
as well as Fur Institute of Canada and International Fur Federation through percentages of fur sales. These funds are needed to keep all these organizations remaining strong in order to lobby and combat those that threaten our industry and our way of life. We believe in free enterprise and strong competition as it's great for business. That's why we spend a lot of time and money traveling the globe doing wild fur workshops and seminars, all in an effort to fill our auction room with buyers to compete for your hard acquired catch. Fur Harvesters remains deeply committed to the trappers of North America on all levels. So what they are saying here in my opinion now the guys on t-man some of them were like oh they they're scared they're saying the market's going to crash and they don't want you to send their fur uh, i get the exact opposite from this from what i'm seeing is guys you got the your local auctions you got your buyers coming around you got the grunwald truck coming around they're offering you prices we're just asking you to wait see what the comes out in this march auction and i if if they didn't think the auction was going to go better than expected, I don't think they'd put out this press release. That's my view on it because uh, Mark Downey is asking you to wait to decide where you send your fur um, before making any decisions. See what happens in the fur harvesters auction results. And I think what they suspect is going to happen is you're going to see better prices than you thought and if you hang on to your fur until after this auction, if you don't sell it to somebody else, you're probably going to want to ship it. Um, and there's plenty of time to do so. So I, I think that's what I got from that. Um, just wait and see what happens rather than... Uh, because, it, you know, a lot of times this time of year, we want to get rid of our fur. And a lot of people already have. They've sold sold all, all of their fur or shipped it somewhere. Um, and that's fine. But um, if you do have fur sitting around, I would also encourage you to wait and see what happens as a result of this auction. Even if you're not going to send to fur harvesters, at least it gives you a little more uh, a little more knowledge with which to bargain uh, for your fur. Um, if you are super conservative in terms of uh, you know your your hard-earned catch and you don't want to take any risks, then maybe you do want to just take the cash now and, and go. If you're more like me, more of a risk taker, um, you'll you'll hang on to some fur and and uh, and see what happens here with the hopes of, uh, you know, the eternal optimist hopes of the uh, the market coming back and prices getting better. Uh, if the if the March auction goes well, the May June auction is going to go uh, as well uh, also. So um, look forward to seeing seeing what comes out of fur fur harvesters uh, with this big auction. All right, so I've almost filled a whole episode worth of talk there. Why don't we get into our uh, Jim and I's conversation from the cabin uh, on the Porcupine Shinjek Rivers up in interior Alaska on the trap line from location, uh, just talking about my first few days uh, with Jim trapping up in Alaska. Hope you enjoy. All right, we're in the cabin, finally. Jim and I and a lynx hanging from the ceiling of the cabin between us, thawing out. Another lynx on the floor. This is kind of something that I've been wanting to do for a long, forever, but about a year ago I started planning for it, and it's quite a journey to get up here. <laughs> so I left my home in northern Maine on Sunday morning 
and it was 20 it was 26 hours of travel landed at the airport in Fairbanks uh, stayed at, overnight at Jim's place and then we went we jumped on a plane and flew into Fort Yukon the next day and then spent the night there and then the following day um, made our way out to the cabin which which is basically it's a good what half day travel or so I think it took about four hours yeah checking traps so yeah it was quite a quite a ways to get here but this is a pretty awesome little spot in the middle of nowhere um, and it's kind of fun been fun for me because I imagined things certain way and read everything could about trapping up here um, thought about it and and when you kind of when you actually get to see it then everything it's either this is what I expected or this isn't what I expected um, so where to start I want to kind of rattle off a few things uh, I brought most of what I packed was warm weather clothing and I still didn't quite have enough <laughs> um, because that that parka that that you you're loaning to me is probably the most useful thing in in the whole wardrobe but I told you I'd loan it to you before you came yeah, up right right <laughs> yeah I, I, and I wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to find one yeah I didn't expect you to buy one just for a few weeks so so when we snowmobile up home even below zero sometimes 10 20 below we wear helmets full face helmets with shields on them block the wind mm -hmm. and I kept trying to figure out how on earth do these guys do this without a face shield helmet and you see all these guys on TV like Hymo and Stanza A and they get just the open face with the with the parka rough with the rough around the hood of the parka and and I didn't quite understand it until the other morning when we're we're driving the snow snowmobiles out of town and I'm going behind you and it's it was I think it was like 15, 12 or 13 below probably it's, it's a little warmer now yeah because the day before when we we landed the the guy at the airport was uh, it was he said it was 20 below when we got in yeah incidentally the guy working at the airports from Maine so I get a chance to chat with him a little bit about uh, living there and what he liked about it and why he stayed for 30 Five, 40 years yeah at least he's been there he, he moved up there to become a school teacher and then and uh, he graduated from Maine with a teaching degree and then uh, realized that there weren't very many good jobs around so he found a job up there went all the way to Alaska and never never looked back um, so anyway we were there riding, riding out of town it was probably 12 below or so and I had everything bundled up as warm clothes as I could, as I had, um, and I don't know. I had three, four, five, five or six layers of pants, you know, long johns, four, four uh, long underwear, and then a uh, fleece pants, and then my wool pants on top of those, and then had five or six layers on top, and then the parka, and I had the uh, what's that called? The ski mask, the ski goggles. Yeah, I had those, and then I had a face mask, and had the parka hood, and I had—I actually had a Mad Bomber hat 
over the face mask and then I had to park a hood and we were going 20 30 miles an hour on the sleds and my nose was freezing and the, the air cold air was coming in between my uh, face mask and the goggles and there's just a little bit of just a little tiny bit of cold air there and I was like I'm not gonna uh, this is my nose is gonna freeze I have to stop at some point and figure this out and we stopped on the trail um, at, at one one part just a little ways outside of town and I think you walked back to check on me and you looked at me and you said your park is not zipped all the way up you <laughs> <laughs> you said you gotta you, I had a I had a, a gap there right yeah a little opening at your chin and so when I zipped that up the whole hood moved forward and it made like this tunnel in front of my face with the part with fur on it with the fur on it and when that thing was all the way zipped up, that that opening's only about the size of my hand with my fingers closed together. Mm-hmm. And it, basically, the wind stopped. Like even you didn't though, duck behind the windshield. Oh, that was even behind the windshield. Oh, I was okay. getting cold. But but with that with that uh, kind of tunnel with the that's wolf, right? That part that it might be coyote. Yeah. yeah. But with that that tunnel with all that fur around the outside edge of it for it it kind of slowed the air around and I wasn't cold anymore I was actually yeah. got warm and so th- that that's a pretty crucial piece of equipment yeah I wouldn't go out in the woods without a parka with a fur ruff on it in the winter time I wouldn't do that and I actually got to a point where the goggles were fogging up on me and I just took them off and I I didn't need them so um temperature so the so the weather here that was 12 or 12 or so below and it's actually been warmer the last couple of days i think today was around zero all yeah day. i think it was yesterday too huh yeah and yeah. and funny because zero doesn't zero would have felt cold at home but it, it doesn't really feel that cold and maybe it's because i spent a little time in 10 to 20 below um maybe it's because i'm just dressed a lot warmer but yeah, like today, zero felt warm. It did. And we were moving, and the wind the wind wasn't blowing. So. Well, getting off setting traps warmed us up, too. So what's up with this, this snow? This is almost like a desert, right? It's really dry. I think technically it is <laughs> <laughs> because of the rainfall, annual rainfall so low, but I can't remember what it is. And all the snow, like, like there's there's only probably a foot and a half of snow on the ground. Yeah, it might be 20 inches. And it, it's drifted, of course. In places it drifts deeper yeah. than that. But it, it's not really, you don't really need snowshoes. Um, and and it's, you know, you step and you sink all the way to the ground. It's kind of uh, granular at the it's ground. It's dry, dry snow. Yeah, it's probably granular down below there. Like back home right now, we, you know, we'll have... Uh, a layer of half a foot of snow and then a layer of crust and then a, say a foot of snow and crust and then a little more snow and crust mm. this is all one layer to the bottom and it's all dry of course because it's never got a, above freezing since last fall pretty much yeah and the, the thing that sh- so f- the last few days it's like it's it, you get these little flurries of like a quarter inch of snow half inch of snow at a time yeah. And it seems like that's 
don't know. Is that common? Is that I don't know. It's it's not uncommon to do that. Uh, it's kind of ideal for a trapper, really, because it. Yeah, it doesn't bury your traps. I don't think we get more than six would be a lot. Six inches of snow in a in a storm. Yeah, I think it seems like a lot around here. Yeah, dry snow. And so it, it it covers your traps, and it also like makes a a layer of fresh snow every couple of days to see fresh tracks in. Yeah, that's good. Look for the yeah animals walking around. And you don't really have to worry about getting that foot dumping at a time where everything's covered up, and you got to try to find your traps and and uh, have to uncover them all under a foot of snow. Yeah. So that's the clothing and the and the weather, the sleds. Um, I was really down on. We had a. I have a couple of those tundras for work, uh, and I hate them. I, the, I those Tundra five fifty fans. The, yeah, yeah. Ours are the yellow ones, like twenty eleven, twenty twelve models. Yeah, that's why I don't let you drive it. <laughs> if you're down on it. <laughs> and I, but I did drive this one for a little while, and I actually I actually think it it functions a lot better than ours. It, um, I think a big part of it is those wide skis, those big ski skins. Ski skins, yeah. I hadn't thought of that because I just bought that. I was going to actually take them off. <laughs> but now you could. I'll, well, it goes down my trails. I didn't know if my trails are so right. narrow. I thought I might have to take them off. But. but that's the thing with that Tundra. You know, we found they were tippy. And we put the ski spreaders on them, and they were still tippy. And, and part of that may just be uh, you you're still too narrow but part of it might be that the skis were n still narrow yeah and even with the spreaders the skis diving into the snow yeah whereas this one it floats more huh. uh, but this this is like now that i see what we're going through that's kind of like the ideal sled for this con these conditions because the trails are so narrow yeah it works good on those i works good on narrow trails I mean, I'm kind of like just testing it out up here, but it works good. Yeah, and so I, like I've been driving that Bearcat, and that's a really nice riding sled. Yeah, it's comfortable. It's like and, a Cadillac. Yeah, <laughs> it's got that wide track, and you can go just about anywhere. But that thing, it, it it's it's got to be six inches wider than the Tundra, or more. Uh, I yeah, at least, and it weighs two hundred pounds more. And I'm going behind you, and I'm. You know, I'm, you're just squeezing right through all that stuff, and I'm trying to maneuver. Yeah. It's it's a monster. <laughs> yeah. It's good out in the open, but not. Oh, yeah, not yeah. Today was awesome. We didn't go through any trees today, but yesterday would have been if I if I had that yesterday, that would have been a task. Yeah, I can't follow my trails with it. I'd have to stop and cut once in a while, widen them out. So the trapping, I've well, we'll talk about how I sabotaged our day yesterday. But um, we had a good start coming up to, up to the camp, up to the cabin. Um, we didn't catch anything in most of the stops, but, but one stop we had, when's the last time you had three link and three traps and three sets? Mm, I can't remember. Uh, might have been two years ago. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Because there was a lot of link around two years ago. So, so we get up to the trap, Jim looked over it and said, just from the river we could see he said there's something in it i think you thought it was a fox yeah it was covered with snow and i could see his ears poking up and so i went closer i was quite a bit closer and i looked i said no it's a lynx 
And then I looked up, and I think we both saw at the same time that there was a live one in the in a trap behind yeah. it. Yeah. So we got a double. And then you looked further down. You said, we get three. Yeah, another one in <laughs> a snare. So he had set two snares and a trap and, and got three links there. Um, so that was that was pretty awesome um, for a guy that's never trapped him before to get to see that. I was telling Jim that I started, I, I was one of those guys that always wants, I loved the Martin trap, my favorite animal to trap. And I, and I thought, oh man, I was kind of bummed out when you said there weren't any Martin around here. And, and I started to see those links. I'm like, man, this is, this is better than Martin trapping. <laughs> I don't know. <clears throat> they're both fun. Yeah. They're, but they're like, they're these big animals and they're just, the way that, the way that you trap for them is pretty cool. I, I like it. I like it a lot. I like the snaring part of it so far. Yeah. They're, pretty big cats when you think of it you know what I mean yeah walking around in the woods yeah and you see those tracks as big 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 paws um, so maybe we'll talk about some of the like some of the sets I don't know maybe you can stop me if I'm giving away any secrets okay um, I, <laughs> I don't have any secrets <laughs> oh, that's good so one of the things that you always th I always think about when you study somebody's trapping techniques like from afar and you you hear about what they do and how they do it you think man you, you always seem to think that you could tell me if you agree with me from afar it seems more complicated I I, I think so yeah probably until you go out with somebody and look at it you mean right yeah in like when I when I, when I followed you on like the first couple of spots where we stopped and went to check traps, I that hit me immediately. It's like, yep, simpler than I thought. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Um, and so like one of the the simple things, the simplest things I can imagine is like you go to a spot where there's some link sign, and you just walk into the snow and pack down a trail, and then you set a snare in your trail. Yeah, and no bait, no lure, but the lynx uh, hunting along that bank, and he catches that trail, and it's easy walking, and the rabbits are probably using it after that's packed down like that, and he's going to follow that trail. Yeah, you could probably just walk around in the willows some spots and set snares behind you, and you'd catch lynx, especially when there's a lot of them, <laughs> you know. And so so that, that part of it's pretty, I mean... I, that was awesome. So it's just like there's a few rules, right? So you got your snares all set up. They're really convenient because the the loop is already the right size. The, so the cable is just the right length with and everything's ready to go. And then you got the wire, the tie wire. Yeah. And you got enough wire that you can almost always find a willow or some tree to tie off to um, to have hang your snare right in the trail. So then you just got that loop, which is already the right size that you need it to be. You get it on the trail and then you have a height what you know the height that you want for links and that's pretty much yeah it's pretty pretty quick um, the the footholds also were you know i'm coming straight from having trapped coyotes this past fall and we're we're digging in the dirt and we're bedding traps solid and we're covering them up and making it look making them blend in and look like there's nothing there 
Um, this is there's not much uh, <laughs> not much of that going on here. No. I guess we have different definitions of solid, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, just pack pat down some snow uh, as a base and set the trap on top of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't cover them hardly at all. And that snow does it does that for you too. I mean, yeah, a quarter inch of snow, half inch of snow. But um, the so so you've got. In, in a lot of those, I was kind of surprised. A lot of the foothold sets, you weren't even using bait. You're just smearing some... Yeah, lure. Some kind of lure. And so the lynx will try to, basically try to put their nose to it or sometimes rub Sometimes it. they lick it. They try to rub on it. Just, just sniff it. I don't know. And how about the some, wolverine? What's the strategy for them? Usually you want a bait, something like a part of a lynx carcass or a fox carcass, and you wire it up. The idea is they want to have to pull on it and uh, stomp around, and hopefully they'll step on the trap. Which I also, I do, I put a lot of those baits at my lynx sets because I catch them in a lot of wolverine in my lynx sets. And you saw, sometimes I'll put two traps there. In case yeah. Hopefully you get them in two feet, the wolverine. If you get them by the back foot, it's good, because then they don't chew chew on their front foot. They just try digging to get away. Yeah. So pretty pretty simple and pretty quick to set out, which is nice. You can you can go into a spot where you see some sign, walk in there, pack a trail, couple traps and a snare, just a few minutes and. Yeah. You're back at it. Yeah, I think the idea is just keep moving instead of spending a lot of time at one set. And you're covering a lot of ground because, I mean, I'm going to talk a little bit about the, the sign and how much fur, you know, in, is, seems to be in certain places. But overall, in general, if you compare this to the lower 48, there's not as high a density of fur bears. Yeah. And just, it's, it's a lean country. I mean, sure. well. Yeah, now it's leaner than it was last year and the year before. I think three years ago, the link population was high. So it's been, t now it's lower than it was the last two years for sure. But yeah, we used to have more fox around too, but I don't know what happened to them. I told you about that. Yeah. So covering ground, covering, covering a lot of miles to, to pick up fur seems to be pretty pretty much the the way to be effective um so we came up we set we checked those on the way up and stayed here that was pretty much the first day and then see that's why i'm doing this right now because the days start to blend together yeah so the next the next day we went um we went up we were heading north to that snake we call it snake lake yeah it doesn't have a name so no one's going to find it on a map <laughs> <laughs> it's a so it's kind of a slough lake but it snakes back and forth yeah this is so yeah i want to i want to talk about this whole the first of all the porcupine river is huge it's way bigger than i i mean i knew it was big from the pictures you showed me but it's a massive river yeah i mean it's from bank to bank it's pretty yeah like in front of the cabin here, I think it's like 
1,500 feet across, and that's not a wide spot. Yeah, I mean, that's, and, and 1,500 feet, and the banks are 10 to 20 feet high. That one we climbed. Some of them are. I don't know how high that one over there is. The one that you dug out that we climbed today with the tundra, that's, yeah. that had to be 20 feet. Yeah, I'd say at least 15. That one across the river, it must be 40. Don't you think? <laughs> yeah. I don't. I hardly even remembered that. <laughs> What's that? You were tell, you were trying to tell me about that spot, and I'd forgot. You I'd blacked it out, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it, but yeah, that's that's a long that is a long ways up. It's a gradual bank. It, I mean, it's kind of gradual, but it's it's the a high bank. It yeah. never flood there. I don't think. I don't think it ever has when you look at it. And so this it's a massive river system, and it moves a lot. You can tell. You can see that because you can see the eroding banks, and this whole uh okay so we're we're riding snowmobile and like you're going down the river and all of a sudden you just start and it's all snow and all of a sudden you just start climbing it's like what's going on here gradual climb gradual climb oh i want a gravel bar yeah and and you can't really tell it's there you could climb until you're five feet ten feet up above the river and that's yeah. just how big those gravel bars are and as the river moves and it carves out an outside bend, it's depositing stuff on the inside bend, and those are kind of moving over time. And and if you really watch, like I was looking around a lot the last couple of days, you can see the vegetation, and you can see where the river was, uh, say, 10 years ago, where it was 50 years ago, 100 years ago, because you got like the little cottonwoods, and then you get a little higher, and you got like the aspen or the, the poplar. And you get back there far enough in the spruce. The spruce, and then you got the small spruce, like 10, 15 feet high, and then you got the spruce that's like around this cabin. Yeah. And, and and you can see like all the progressions of it. And when the river like cuts off channels as it's moving, it makes these uh, these parts of the river become these like disconnected lakes. And then like. If you look at the map of this area, it's there's hundreds and hundreds of these la- little lakes. Yeah. It th- that is like that. That's to me. That's one of the coolest parts of going around here because you'll be going through the woods, through you know a bunch of spruce trees, and all of a sudden you'll pop out into this lake. And some of them maybe you'd call lakes, and some of them they're just like meadows. Yeah. Like old lakes that have filled in. Yeah, they might get water in them once in a while when it floods. And, and all that is like different habitats. So you get around those lakes and you get like grass growing and willows and stuff for mice and rabbits and everything. Yeah, the rabbits like the willows. So it's a it's a variety. And the, mo- and the moose do too. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, yeah, I, what else do I want I want to get into? I want to get into traveling on the river, since we're talking about the river, because I just followed your tracks the last few days, and I didn't know, I assume you know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know, like, if you have advice or thoughts on, like, if I wasn't following your tracks, what would I be trying to do to avoid bad ice and, and dangerous places? Wow. <laughs> Avoid bad ice. Cause you can't really. It's all covered in snow. Yeah, a lot of it I just know from memory to avoid certain areas. But uh, one thing I try to do is not drive. 
not drive out on the ice. Like, I like to cross and then get on a bar and not yeah. drive out on it. But I do, yeah, sometimes you have to drive on it, yeah. you know. But I don't know how many times I've traveled this stretch of river, you know, down to Fort Yukon. So, And then you drive it in the summertime, you're on a boat, so you see it then. But, uh, yeah, you'd look for uh, open spots. and You can kind of see depressions in the snow where there's open Open yeah, and, and like I was telling you, a lot of times on the downstream side of a bar, there's springs, and you'll that's where you'll see wet spots. And today, that one spot we went by, that's just current, I think, yeah. going against the bank. Yeah. I don't know how deep it was there. I didn't. I could kind of see you like riffly, like it yeah, looked like it might you could only see be bottom. a foot deep, but you still don't want to go in. I it. wouldn't want to go in. It. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then how are you going to get out? There's yeah. no trees to winch yourself. Yeah, you don't want to go in it. So yeah, the cool thing though is that the the difference between high water level and the the way it is right now, there's quite a bit of elevation difference in there. So there's a lot of dry gravel bars and riverbank. Yeah, so you can just stay up on the bar. So yeah, with that whole stretch, we just kind of rode up on the on the bar. Um, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny bars and banks. Right? I think. Yeah, we got a lot of bars and banks around here. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. Yesterday, you were telling me a story about meeting a guy, meeting a guy at, uh, on the on the bar, and then at the bar, and and then you saw him at the bank. And I said, "There's a bank in Fort Yukon." <laughs> <laughs> oh, the riverbank. Yeah, the riverbank. Yeah. So, yeah, and those those sloughs, like every, I guess you got a you got a bar every inside bend. Um, and we were, when I, I think about it, we were going like along that bar and then we'd cross and we'd go to the next bar on the other yeah, side Yeah. and, and do that. But I it's uh, like that one of those bars we were on today, if you went out on the ice, it'd be smoother, but then it's a longer trail, you know, and you might, you might run into a little bit of water, but if you stick close to the gravel bar, you're usually good until you get to certain, like that one area today I almost drove across. Yeah, <laughs> I, I almost saw followed the, you across. <laughs> I saw the uh, ice ledge in front of me, and I just steered away from it. But we were the the, the visibility wasn't real good. It was no, it was dark and a, snowing. Snowing, yeah. Yeah, that was it. Was really cloudy and and just enough of that snow to kind of mess you. I didn't have too hard a time with those goggles on, but you must have had a hard time getting that in your face. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I wore goggles off and on for years, and they'd always fog up on me. So I just I tried to duck behind the windshield when it gets really bad. Yeah. I got a high windshield on the on the tundra, the highest they make, which isn't bad, you know. Yeah, oh, it's pretty good. I just get worried, like driving it, driving back the other day. Um, I, I like he hit a branch with it, and I'm like, I don't want to break the windshield. Yeah, yeah, that happens sometimes. So these rivers, we traveled. Uh, we traveled about 10 miles on river today and we only, we only we went a distance of what maybe four or five miles on the slough yeah uh, no. no i mean i mean to get to where we started oh on a straight on line yeah straight line probably yeah four to five miles so we, to, to get to the slough these rivers just they're like they bend like s s curves you know through large portions of them and and kind of 
stinks because the easiest traveling is along the river, but it's also the longest route. Yeah, but you get less fur out there. <laughs> that's true. That's you absolutely. Wanna, you want to be in the willows and the timber and that stuff to get fur. So you used to have a lot of your trails. You just cut cut out all those bends. Yeah, I still got them, but we're not. My small snow machine broke down, so I haven't been able. The trails are so narrow. <laughs> I know that bearcat might make it, but the tundra will. Yeah. That new tundra, but that bearcat. Well, I busted the hood trying to go on one of them. Yeah. One of my trails. Who broke your snowmobile? Um, it's wearing out. It's a 2004 <laughs> Tundra with a lot of time on it. Yeah, I felt pretty bad yesterday. I kind of ruined our day. Because uh, we were, so we we had this line that Jim, that was yesterday, right? Yeah. 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 We had this line that Jim had set out. Uh, a while back and we were we were checking the traps and the plan was we we're going to go through and check all the traps and then and, extend it yeah so so we just check the traps you, you pack down the snow you know it snowed a few inches since the last time he'd been through and so you pull the snare out of the way you pack the snow down and set the snare back so the trail is packed down and the snare is at the right height um, the trap you pull it out of the snow you pat the snow down and set the trap reset the trap so it's not going to get we actually had one set on the porcupine that looks like uh, Fox had been all over it. And it yeah, sprung the that was kind of drifted. It wasn't in. that much snow, but it set up for some reason. It was hard. It was yeah. under a spruce tree. So, so we were doing that, and the plan was we were going to get to the end of that line, and then we were going to start making new sets. And you had a, you did see some Martin sign for once, and had a, a Martin set at the very end of that line. I remember. Yeah, yeah, nothing was in it though. So we didn't catch anything, and but I was pretty excited because we were going to start cutting trail and, and extending the line. And we get we get just a little ways past the last set. Yeah, we had to clear some brush out of the trail. And uh, yeah, I was a little hard on the tundra. I pulled, I was pulling, it, it wasn't idling. It didn't want to idle. It would run good, but it wouldn't idle. And uh, so it took five, four or five cranks every time to get it restarted. We, yeah, every time you, you can't let it idle, so it dies. And so I was I was pulling a little too far out um, on on the recoil, and uh, I pulled one time, and it must have it didn't break the rope, but it 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 must have unhooked that where that clamp. Or did you say it was a wedge. It's kind of like a wedge. It wedges on the rope. And I pulled, and all of a sudden there was nothing. The uh, rope disconnected. <laughs> disconnected rope, and I was stuck there. So. <laughs> I was like, oh, what do I do now? So I, w I was in a walk and just jump on the sled and with you and see if you wanted to keep going or if you wanted to turn back. Um, but we ended up going back and clutch starting it and uh, and drove it back. So that was kind of a shortened, shortened day. <laughs> and then today, we didn't... We, today was a little better. We we had a lot of traveling, but we had two sleds and we didn't break any of, either of them. And we checked a bunch of traps. Uh, does it count if you catch a lynx and the wolf eat it? Well, you can't sell it. That's <laughs> 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 a fatality. Yeah, I I don't really count them. Yeah, so we didn't get anything today. I, like I told you, I usually go into denial. <laughs> the wolves have to eat too so 
Um, we did see uh, we did see quite a bit of sign on this slew that that we're going into that will be remain unnamed. And we went, uh, we checked all Jim's traps, and we found a spot where uh, and didn't didn't really catch much of anything or nothing except for that lynx. And but then we found a spot where you had seen wolves previously. Um, further downstream on the slough and further up where we were today we saw an area where the wolves had been through and had a bunch of trails yeah it looked like they might have killed a moose back in there way back in there so that was that was pretty cool that was my first chance to set anything for wolves so we each set two snares on those trails those are big those are that's a massive massive loop yeah and and uh, you got you've got marks jim's got marks on his axe for height for lynx snare and wolf snare yeah and so i just took that those snares he gave me and made that loop as big as it would go and set it up that height based on the mark set the, the axe head on the ground and put it on the mark and that was like man this thing's a this whatever he's going to go through and get caught in the snare is going to be a giant <laughs> <laughs> well they're about 16 inches in diameter or I actually make them a little bigger, but yeah, I started that. I told you I started that axe deal for my grandson. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> he he'd set snares for me, and I had a hard time explaining to him how to get it. I usually set links at eleven inches above the trail, and he was having a hard time. He was only nine years old, so. <laughs> but I it, then I got the idea. Hey, this is good. Yeah. So I started so marking. Start using it yourself. Mark, yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see if they come back. And then we, we kind of went to a, a spot. Where, why did we turn around that area where we stopped? I figured we'd gone far enough. <laughs> <laughs> Time to head back. <laughs> so so we and then we ended up kind of leapfrogging each other, and we just stopped where each where one of us would see some sign, and we'd go in and and uh, and walk into the in on the bank and make a couple sets. Usually a. A trap and a couple snares, or a trap and a snare, or a couple snares. And so we kind of, I think we got that that portion of the slough pretty well covered. Set up. Yeah, I think we did. <laughs> there was quite a bit of sign there. Yeah, there's quite a few link walking across. It's kind of interesting when we we were driving up to to get to the cabin two days ago. There were there was on the main river there seemed to me to be a lot of sign i'm like I was, we're just going and it was sunny it was pretty sunny and you could see tracks really well in the snow and my I, i'm just my eyes are just <laughs> bugging out i'm looking at all these man there's a lot of fur here <laughs> seems like there's more link down that way yeah and and we came up and we got to the cabin and then we did this line around the cabin and there really wasn't there wasn't a lot of sign there. <laughs> yeah it wasn't much when you head north uh, I did think I uh, up down river there. I think I saw a wolverine track, but I couldn't really confirm it. Yesterday or today? Uh, day before yesterday. That was. Uh, remember, I told you there. There was. Uh, it was right before we cut those three links. And yeah, yeah, I remember that. There were, were there were wolverine around a lot of tracks last time I was up here. They're probably still around. Yeah, they were kind of. They were like almost the size of a lynx track. It was hard. There'd been fresh snow on top of them, but but in instead of that, the link pattern seems to be for the most part like one in front of the other. Yeah, single file tracks, 
and this was more staggered like a fisher they or a kind of drag their feet a little in the snow yeah they're and you did tall. show me we did we saw another one because you showed me the belly drag in the snow i think we did or, the, or feet drag yeah we it, it was it was hard to tell for sure but it looked like a wolverine well there was old wolverine tracks around some of those sets hmm. yeah yeah some that you caught yeah yeah <laughs> you caught them all i was hoping there'd be a few left yeah when i was up there here last time there were still some running around so they must be out there somewhere might get one tomorrow that's right that's right so what's the plan for tomorrow i'm not sure which trail to go on we'll figure out one <laughs> this is that's the fun part we never know what we're doing from one day to the next it's almost like being retired or on vacation <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 i don't know whether to head uh, up river and go through that bend or head to the west you know we could flip a coin yeah yeah like i'd said for me as long as we're as long as we're making progress i'm happy that's kind of the way my brain works if we're if we're setting checking traps setting traps or cutting trail to set traps i'm happy yeah you didn't come up here to uh watch tv huh? <laughs> <laughs> no no and maybe eventually we'll get to skin some of these guys hanging up yeah it takes about two days to thaw out a frozen link and when they're in a snare they usually freeze pretty quick yeah i was i'm surprised that guy's still pretty stiff that guy's thawing out there, but I had to move him down where it's cooler. You don't want to thaw him too fast. All right, well, what do you think? Check out and talk to these guys a little bit later. Yeah. A couple of days from now, and okay. hopefully we'll have a lot more stories to tell. But we will. I like to do this because by two days from now, I'm probably going to have forgotten most of what we did the last <laughs> two days. I'm trying to keep a little bit of a journal, but... Um, yeah okay hard to keep track of all the stuff yeah the days blend in <laughs> very good all right we'll we'll uh we'll catch you guys here later on <laughs>